listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. This is Dr. Ron Eaker, your host. You know, it's really exciting sometimes when I look at the news. I've got this little news feed on my computer. A lot of you probably do. These little news feeds that uh, will identify certain topics and it'll flash up the information on those topics as it interests you. And I have a lot of keywords that come up and pop up whenever uh, the news hits. And a couple of days ago, my inbox just got annihilated with this information on this new study, new in quotation marks, that might tell you where I'm heading with this, this new study that talked about the risk of hot flashes associated with cardiovascular disease, heart disease. So that's what I want to talk about tonight is briefly tell you what that study says, but put it contextually for you so you really understand. And I really broaden this out. It's not every day that a study gets my panties in a wad like this one does because it highlighted a point that I want to make clear and I'm hopefully going to provide you some really beneficial benefits when you start beneficial benefits some information that you could use on a daily basis as you are inebriated with all this stuff from the web. You know, used to, we could depend on watching, I mean, I'm old enough that I remember three television stations turn, you actually had to get up and change the channel. You all know where I'm coming from there. But you had three choices. You had a morning and afternoon newspaper, and that was the source of your information. And it was pretty easy to sift through that and really re- get, get a lot. Now, the problem with that is it was very curated and you only saw what the certain number of people wanted you to see. So the beauty of the internet is that you get this massive influx of information. It's no lack of knowledge. It's no lack of information. It's being able to determine what of that information is bunk and what of it's real. And that's tough. That's even tough for us who are trained to read studies and read these kind of things and make head or tails out of them, it's hard for us. So I can imagine that it's hard for folks who don't really do that for a living. So my job, that's why I'm here, is to curate this for you, to try to provide some practical, real information to allow you to interpret these things and not go jump off a cliff when you read some crazy story that tells you that drinking coffee causes cancer in sperm whales or something and you think well okay well they didn't say that until about paragraph 10 they just said the headline cancer from coffee so what i wanted to do tonight is use this story about the association of hot flashes to cardiovascular disease and heart disease to illustrate a bigger point and that bigger point is you've got to be a critical consumer you've got to be smart about the information that you bring in and certainly as it applies to healthcare, but really to everything. I mean, we are just absolutely lambasted on a daily basis with information from millions of sources. And unless you can sift through that and cut through the garbage and be able to really hone in on the information that's not only 
appropriate for you, not only applies to your situation, but also is valid and real. I mean, it's the internet is, is a great tool, but it's also an incredible rabbit hole of garbage that you can easily go down and never come out of. So you, you've got to have some method for assessing the information that you see. So a lot of you may have gotten this same information, may have seen this, this study about, horm uh, about hot flashes being associated with an increased risk of heart disease. Well, let me, I'm going to break that down in just a minute, but I want to first hit on a very important distinction. And that is a distinction between an association and a cause. Whenever we think about something that we're doing, whether it's an activity, whether it's something we're eating, whether it's a medication, when we're thinking about the end result, we're thinking about, let's just take cancer, for example. That's so fearful in all of our eyes. Whenever you see something that talks about your risk or a risk with cancer or something that is associated with cancer, it's critical to make the distinction between is it just associated with it or does it actually have a cause and effect? And let me make that distinction for you easier. Let's just say right, years ago, when I, before I was doing this time-restricted eating thing, I would get up for breakfast every morning and I'd have half a bagel with uh, peanut butter. And that was my standard breakfast for years. Well, let's just say I developed nose cancer. Not a common cancer, but it probably is out there. So I developed nose cancer. Well, statistically, you could look at that and say, well, for the last 15 years, he had a bagel every morning with peanut butter and he developed nose cancer. Well, statistically, there's probably, if you took 100,000 people and found out that they ate bagels in the morning, or a percentage of them did, and a percentage of them also had nose cancer, well then some fancy statistician can draw these little correlations that they do, and all of a sudden now you see a headline, bagels with peanut butter associated with nose cancer. That happens all the time. When you hear the term associated, associated with, associated from, all that means is there is a statistical uh, coherence. There's, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that says there is a direct cause and effect. That is so critically important. That the cigarette companies use this in the opposite way. They talked about all the time their studies showing that, okay, yeah, there's an association with smoking and lung cancer. We know that there's this statistical evidence that people who smoke have an increased incidence of lung cancer, but it's just an association. Garbage. It was a cause and effect. And it took the science to finally prove on a cellular level why it was a cause and effect. So they were using it opposite to try to prove that, oh, it's just an association. There's no real cause and effect. So. Whenever you see a study that talks about something be associated with something else, that doesn't imply that doing that behavior, taking that drug, drinking that drink, eating that bagel, 
actually causes the problem that it potentially could be associated with. I hope that's clear. I hope that makes sense because that's a critical distinction. It's so important that you make that distinction between something that actually causes something and something that just is merely associated with it. Because so many of these massive observational studies where these people get these huge monster grants from the government because they don't have anything else to spend their money on. Whoop, just knocked my thing down. I get so excited about this. That they, they spend this massive amounts of money of studying, I mean, sometimes really stupid things. I mean, there was a study. Let me see if I can remember this. This, this was a study, I think it was out of uh, uh, one of the northern elite schools about 20 years ago. And they did all this evaluation. These, I mean, it was like 100,000 patients that they interviewed and surveyed and spent like several million dollars, most of it public grant money. And their conclusion was men and women think and act differently. Duh! I mean, you could just live a couple of weeks in my house and I could have told you that. I mean, come on, that literally, that's the conclusion that, I mean, you think, think about this. Uh, when's the last time you went to dinner with four or five of your favorite couples? You're sitting around the dinner and your wife gets up and trots off to the bathroom. But of course, she's going to take two or three people with her. They, they travel in packs. They don't do that. Now, what would it be like if I got up and I say, Bill, Frank, Bob, you want to go to the bathroom? No, doesn't happen that way. Men and women are different, and it's wonderful. But to spend millions of dollars in seven or eight graduate students to come up with that kind of conclusion? Anyway, I get off track a little bit. You can see I get riled up about some of this stuff. Your tax dollars at work. But anyway, association is not cause. Very, very important. So, what does this study show? Now, I'm going I'm to look at my notes down here because I want to make sure I get all this stuff straight. So, I took the time to put these notes together, so I'm going to use them. So, this most recent study was presented at the North American Menopause Society meeting a couple of weeks ago. And what happens at these meetings, you've got to understand these, these big meetings, these national conferences, they happen every year and every industry does it and they bring all the experts together, and it's a great way to disseminate information that hasn't yet been published, or you're on the cutting edge, so you go to these meetings. Really, you go to the meetings for the, for the food and, and the entertainment. I mean, they don't have these meetings in Biloxi, Mississippi, or, or Pascagoula, or, or you know, they have these meetings in Las Vegas, in New York, in Paris. I mean, they're no fools. So you go to these meetings, and you get some nice food and trinkets. I got to tell you, this is so funny. The last big OBGYN conference I went to, probably 15,000 OBGYNs there. And they all at these places have these expo halls where all the vendors, the people who sell us stuff, like different machines and different drugs are in there promoting that. All these massive halls where they have these big displays with all these. I mean, you've all probably been to these things. If you run races, they all have expos. Every industry does, you know, where you go in and they're promoting their products. Well, there are all these booths, and the smart ones have figured out that doctors are incredibly cheap. 
unbelievably cheapskates. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So they'll give away these little stupid trinkets. I mean, little Cupid doll type 10 cent trinkets, but they'll give them away for free. I mean, little keychains with a, a, a fetus on it so that people know you deliver babies. I mean, it's crazy stuff. And it probably cost them five cents. But doctors will stand in line for 45 minutes to get this stupid little keychain with this little fetus on it. It's phenomenal. I couldn't believe it. I was walking around this hall, and of course I stood in line because I wanted that keychain. But it was just amazing how many people would stand in line for hours for something that they could go down to the Jiffy Mart and get for 15 cents. But it was free. Anyway, I, <laughs> I deviate from my point. Let me go back to where I was before. It was the North American Menopause Society, and it was this big national meeting, and they were bringing a bunch of uh, docs in that specialize in hormones and menopause. Now, at these meetings, these presentations are not published yet. That's part of the advantage of going to the meeting. You can get the information first. You can be the first on the block. So these are not peer-reviewed. These are not, and by that I mean to get in a public and published in a journal, you have to go through a very strange process usually to have your article dissected, your study just beat up and torn up. And if it still meets the criteria, it gets published. And that way, if I read something in a journal, I know it's been through all this, this rigmarole to make sure it's appropriate. Well, the stuff that's presented at these meetings don't go through that same rigorous you know, basically people apply to do a poster or do a brief presentation. And then, you know, there's some guy up in, in Harvard or Yale, you know, sitting, sipping his Merlot, going through these things saying, okay, let's do that one. All right, let's do that one. Yeah, bartender, I'll have another. Let's do that one. Let's do that one. So it's not a real rigorous, usually process to get those papers. But what happens is they also have the media at these things. And they bring these folks in because the more attention they get, the more money they get, the more grants they get. So it really pays for some of these researchers to kind of have their stuff out there to get real popular. Now, I'm not saying that's the driving force. Of course not. There's some amazing, amazing research that goes on, and thank goodness it does. And thank goodness it does in this country in a couple of weeks. Let me just preview this. In a couple of weeks, I've got one that I'm going to talk to you guys about on generic drugs. It's going to make you poo-poo in your britches. I promise you. This, I'm, I'm reading some information now on generics that is just going to make you really scared and really mad. But that's coming in a couple of weeks because that's going to take me a while to sift through this information. Just a little preview. Uh, but anyway, uh, getting back to where I was, you put all this information out and the media laps it up. And they start putting out headlines like hot flashes associated with heart disease. And there's not even been a paper or a study published yet. It was just an abstract, just a, a beginning preliminary information. Now, in this particular event, it actually ended up being reasonably, so far, decent information. But nobody really knows because nobody's seen the actual work. But... The headlines 
somebody who, who's sitting there having hot flashes, you know, going, oh, great, now I'm going to die of a heart attack. Wonderful, that's all I need. You know, I'm sweating like a pig. I'm, I feel like I've been playing a tennis match and my balls got hit in the grass and I'm over there searching for it 24 hours a day, and now I'm going to have a heart attack. Nothing like adding a little stress, which causes hot flashes. Go figure. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit about this study, uh, and, and I'm going to look up here before I do that. Hey, Trina, Cindy... Rosa, Kim, Bernadette, Sherry, Paula, Shelly, great. Thank you. I'm glad you guys are, are online. Hopefully, I haven't gone too crazy off into these, these departures from my point. Uh, so let me go into this study a little bit, and then we'll talk about whether it has any practical application, because if anything I want you to get from this stuff is, is it useful? Is it really going to impact my life? Does it make a difference in what's going on with me? So again, this study... Basically, their conclusion in this presentation, I wouldn't call it a study yet, was that persistent hot flashes in younger women, by that I mean 40 to 50, persistent hot flashes in younger women were a sign of a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, predominantly things like stroke and heart attacks. Now, there was some good points about this information. One, it was pretty massive study, about 10,000 women. It was out of the University of Pittsburgh. And they've been following these women for about 20 years. So already I'm saying, okay, okay, that's pretty good. You've got a, a pretty good cross-section. All different ethnicities, the African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Oriental, you've got a, a broad cross, Asian, you've got a broad cross-section. So that's pretty good. You followed them for about 20 years, that's even better. And one of the good things about this study is they were looking at women between the ages of 40 and 52, which is so much better than that dad burn WHI Women's Health Initiative, which you've heard me rail about before that scared everybody from hormones years ago because, you know, again, headlines, hormones cause cancer. Well, I don't want to go into why the WHI was such a horrible study, but it was, it, 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 gave us some information, but it totally blew everything out of proportion. I don't think this study is going to do that because it just showed an association. So anyway, it shows that women who are having early onset hot flashes, meaning earlier in their early 40s, because again, the average age is 51, and most hot flashes occur around the time of menopause itself. But women who started having hot flashes early and had a higher frequency tended to be at greater risk as they followed these women along for cardiovascular events down the road. So is, is that significant? Well, it's significant, but it's not anything new. We've known about this risk. We've known this existed for a number of years. In fact, as early as 1914, <laughs> 2014, uh, there's some studies out suggesting that. Well, let me break it down for you. What happens is we know, we know that reducing estrogen, dropping estrogen is one of the big triggers of hot flashes. No question, no debate. We also know that dropping estrogen levels early, and by that I mean prior to mid-40s, early, puts you at increased risk for heart problems. We've known that for years. If a woman has her ovaries taken out at surgery when she's in th her 30s, her risk of heart disease goes way up if she doesn't get hormone replacement because your body's meant to have that estrogen. It's meant to have that in the system. 
It's why women who are premenopausal have lower heart problems than men at the same age. But then when they get postmenopausal, the rate of heart disease pretty much equals out. Women and men are about the same after 50. Heart disease is still the number one killer of men and women over 50, but not women under 50 because of estrogen. Estrogen has an effect on the lining of the blood vessels, the endothelium, and it allows them to be more elastic, to, to, to stretch better. When you lose that, those vessels don't stretch as well, so we know that there is an increase in problems associated with blood pressure, for example, because of the tightening of those vessels after the menopause. Well, what we're seeing with these studies is they're probably finding women, and they didn't really measure this. We actually don't know if they measured hormone levels in these younger women. They just went by hot flashes. But by inference, we know that the lower the estrogen level, the more quickly it drops, the more likely you are to have heart problems later on. So we've known this. It's not new information. And the way it's presented is like this is some revelation that now women have to worry about having problems with, with heart disease just because they have hot flashes. That's not the case. We know that if you are younger, younger, underlying exclamation part, under 45 and start having terrible hot flashes, yeah, there probably is a slight increased risk because of the estrogen effect. I've said in other videos about this estrogen window, this, this period of time that if women use hormones between about age 45 and 60, they actually have a reduced incidence of cardiovascular disease and stroke later on. That's opposed to women who first start hormones in their early 60s. Those women actually have an increased risk of heart disease and stroke. That's the group of women that made all the headlines back in the WHI in 2002. What they didn't tell you is that very, very, very few women, in fact, I can't even remember the last time I started a woman on hormones for the very first time in her 60s. It just, we don't do that practically. It just doesn't, one, it's not needed, but two, it, it, it just doesn't happen. Women usually by that time either have, uh, are through uh, menopause and don't need them. Now that didn't apply to women who started them early and were still on them in their 60s. That's very different from women who just started taking them in the 60s. You see the difference. That's important. So this is information that we've known for a long time, that there is a beneficial effect of estrogen in a woman's body prior to menopause, and there's a window where if used for other reasons, you get that beneficial side effect as long as it's not too late in the game. I hope that's clear. My point is, and I love the name, this was called the SWAN study, how nice. SWAN stands for Study of Women's Health Across the Nation. Everybody has to come up with these crazy mnemonics now for their studies. Every study has to have a, a, a mnemonic so that it makes it. So I'd love to see, I'd see like the Goober study. Wouldn't you love to see the Goober study? Uh, generalized observations of beneficial estrogen results. I think I'm going to do the goober study. I think that would be fantastic. I think people would get a kick out of that. But the SWAN study 
we probably one of these days we'll get some an actual study from this but here's one of the things that really got me and, and this was what got me in a in a tirade was that one of the leading authors of the study made this statement she said we don't know whether treating the hot flashes will improve women's cardiovascular health we haven't done that research yet wrong <laughs> wrong 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 that is such a horribly mistaken statement. We actually have reams of research that says treating hot flashes with estrogen in the appropriate amounts at the appropriate time in the woman's life will reduce their heart disease. I've got 25 references. I can email this person right now. So that's what drove me crazy when I saw that's what showed up in the headlines in you know, that'll be in USA Today and picked up by AP and, and UPI. So yes, we do. Uh, and that someone would actually say that makes me a little bit crazy. I did run across another real interesting study that I just wanted to mention for just a second. And that was back in 2016. That was out of uh, the University of, uh, University of somewhere. I don't think you really care, do you, where it's from? Trust me, it was a decent study. But they looked at about 18,000 women and found that there were about 14 mutations in the genes, what they call single uh, nucleotide polymorphisms. Single, literally one, it's like if you were spelling a word and you changed one letter, that's what these things are like. But there were 14 that they identified that made a woman at greater risk for having hot flashes. That one factor alone, regardless of their menopausal status. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. I thought that it just goes to show that the more we learn about our genome, our human genetic makeup, the more exciting it is as far as practical clinical applications. I'll bet you, I'll bet you probably in 10 years, you're going to walk into my, well, you're not going to walk into my office because I'm probably not going to be still practicing in 10 years. I'm ancient. I'm old. I probably will be, you know, lying in a fetal position somewhere howling at the moon. But in 10 years, I will bet you, you'll walk into your doctor's office and they will do a blood panel that will allow you to have personalized medicines risk identification, things that we never even dreamed of at this point that we will be able to do to treat, for example, uh, if you're on an antidepressant medicine, there's actually some evidence now that there are some tests that we can do that will see which one might be more effective for you based on genetics. Pretty amazing stuff. That's the future of medicine, what we call genomic medicine. And it, more importantly to me, it's going to be able to identify ways to prevent problems. It can identify what risk factors you have, but more importantly, how you can then twist that and change that by behavior, by nutrition, by meditation, by yoga, Trina, right? Gotcha. Send me some love on that one. Uh, that can actually improve that risk profile where you're not bandaged by the genes. You know that even though you can't change the genes, you can change how they're expressed. Exciting stuff coming up 
on genomic medicine. So that's, that's really all I wanted to do tonight. If you know of other things that might be helpful to you, you suggestions, I'm open to that too. But I've got a lot of things in the works to really juice this up and make this a, an exciting time for folks where they can get some real value from it. And any way I can provide that, let me know. So with that, I wish everyone make healthy choices. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at r-e-a-k-e-r at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy. Thank you.